Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this 10th of February, 2023. And I have learned in hour one that apparently there is a much shorter and easier way to talk about strawberry rhubarb pie. It's just called strewbarb. So now I'm going to need you to weigh in on whether or not that is a legit contraction, strewbarb. Because if so, I would like to adopt it into my uh, you know, daily parlance because <clears throat> now I'm going to be looking for strewbarb pie and tarts and whatever else is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, if you missed the conversation uh, earlier today uh, in hour one, you should go back and listen to it because we had a really good time. I think there were some informative things that happened And yes, uh, uh, there was pie. Well, at least there was mention of pie. There's the hope of pie. Pie might be coming on a truck. I don't know. All all kinds of things. Uh, So it is Friday. We should have a farm report. Um, Let me just quickly dispense with that now so that I don't forget. Things are greening up where I live. I know that that is hard to believe if you are in a place um, that is still covered with white stuff um, or maybe now gray stuff. Um, But it is greeting up. So let me just go ahead and declare the hope of spring. Let me just go ahead and declare that under whatever frozen tundra you might be experiencing, um, hope is ginning up spring. Like it is about to spring forth. And so we want to be people who place our hope and our faith in the God of resurrection power, people of springtime faith. You know, we're Easter people all the time, but during during the season when people are turned by hearts and minds toward spiritual matters, um, it's really good for us to be prepared to declare resurrection hope. Um, that also means around where I live, it's been time for pruning. So all of the fruit trees as of yesterday have now been pruned. We've had a burn pile going for a couple of days. The kale is officially up in the greenhouse. So that's really fun. Um, but there was a, uh, a chicken massacre. <clears throat> Four of our 12 hens succumbed to an attack by our own dogs on the night of the full moon. I I, it, I wish I had better news. I wish I could say it was a predator from outside of our home, but it was two predators from inside of our home. And so we're down to eight hens, but the good news is each one of those eight hens still laying an egg every day. So uh, no egg shortage where I live. There you go. That is the farm report update from uh, LaBerge Land. China, in the midst of the whole spy balloon saga, China was apparently not answering the phone. Um, so we now know this from, um, you know, our our highest ranking um, officials here in the United States of America. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin reached out to his Chinese counterpart via a special crisis line that is designed to, like, right, avert international disaster between countries like, in this case, the United States of America and China. But China um, wouldn't pick up the phone, refused to answer uh, the hotline. 
And so, um, you know, what what does this have to say to each and every one of us? Uh, I'm just going to say answer the phone today. If somebody um, with whom you are at odds gives you a call, answer the phone. And if you are at odds with somebody, reach out today and give them a call. I'm going to just say that um, if there's somebody in your life with whom you need to be reconciled, today's the day to reach out and call. Send them a text and just say, I, I want to be reconciled. I do not want there to be enmity between us. Um, please answer the phone. And then give them a call. Give them a call. Um, continuing prayers for what I'm going to describe as cascading ca- catastrophes in, um, in Syria. The situation on the Turkey-Syria border continues to just be heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. Over the weekend, um, the death toll is going to climb already at 22,000 this morning. Um, Some 70,000 people injured in a place where hospitals have been uh, decimated. Help is going to have to come from the outside. That is a gospel testimony. That is a gospel testimony. Help is going to have to come from the outside. Um, so just consider um, consider that opportunity and be praying ardently um, for the people there and those who are surging in into the region um, to provide rescue and relief. All right, um, Adam Holtz is waiting in the wings to talk with us. I learned yesterday that Hogwarts Legacy, which is a role-playing game, officially launches today, but apparently, apparently, some people got early access and started streaming on Twitch, which we just talked about a minute ago with Chris Martin. Twitch uh, now has Hogwarts Legacy as the most watched single player game ever. And it's only been out for a day. And it's not even technically out until today. That is crazy. That means that there's a whole lot of people paying attention to watching other people play a game instead of paying attention to things that are actually happening in the real world. But let me also say this. In this Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy game, players actually are witches and wizards. That's the avatars. And so I'm just going to go ahead and say, get ready for the backlash of people who didn't want anybody to read Harry Potter. Um, They're definitely going to be warning against role-playing witches and wizards in Hogwarts Legacy. Uh And because I didn't have any idea that any of this was happening, and I'm betting Adam Holtz knew all about it, he's coming up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Hello, Adam. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I, I'm I am up and at him today, man. I am You're, I am uh, I am ready to go. I am fully jazzed. Yep. There's a there's a revival Better. underway. Like revival is falling. It's it's here. It's upon us. And so I'm pretty excited. Uh, <sighs> that's great. I was going to say I'm sorry about your hens, but oh, in light of revival, yeah. that seems inconsequential. <laughs> you know, let me just confess to you that living on a farm, the the death of one hen just means the possibility and promise of getting to raise another chick in the spring. And so oh, there there's a cyclic there's like a cyclical nature to the whole thing. Like we were right. we were fully Circle loaded. We had 12 
We had 12 hens, so they weren't going to be, we weren't going to allow there to be any chicks in the spring. And now, now, mm-hmm, the countdown mm-hmm. begins to chick days. All right. I know. It's, well, I know. I live in a, I live in a pretty happy little world. I just got to tell you. Quite literally hope springs eternal, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. All right. So um, the Super Bowl is going to happen this weekend. And in addition yeah. to watching the game, People are, I mean, you know, if the past is any indication of the future, people are going to be watching the ads. Tell us what's going to go yeah. on this year in Super Bowl ads. Well, you know, you've got your your normal selection of ads that will be provocative, ads that will feature celebrities doing funny things. I mean, I've already seen a ton of press about Ben Affleck uh, sort of reappropriating a thick Boston accent, <sighs> pretending to work at, at Dunkin' Donuts. Um, but there's an interesting ad, a couple of them they're going to run called uh, He Gets Us, which is a, an ad about Jesus. And I think there's, a, there's an interesting dialogue happening. Now, I have actually, these ads are not new. They've been running uh, during football games, probably elsewhere, but football is literally the only thing I watch on television. So that's where I have seen them. Um, that I think really emphasize jesus ability to empathize and to understand where we're at and i think the ads are incredibly well done like the first time i saw one i thought wow the production value the writing the delivery here sometimes cheesy is the word the operative word with with christian media these are anything but cheesy they're super effective Um, But there's some controversy or at least commentary, we'll call it commentary, that says the ads are emphasizing Jesus' humanity, but not saying much about his divinity, you know, about the fact that we're fallen, that we we not only need a friend to sympathize with us in our weakness, we need a savior to save us from more than weakness, from sin. And I don't know, Carmen, I, I think that's a legitimate criticism. I think the church in general, um, you know, trying to understand Jesus' humanity and Jesus' divinity simultaneously is a, is a complicated theological order, right? I mean, that's why we go to church and we hear, uh, you know, gifted pastors preach from the word each week. Um, and, and so I'm not going to say that that's a churlish uh, criticism. I think it's a legitimate criticism. I think as far as these ads go, they're very effective. And in terms of maybe sparking someone's interest or paying attention to Jesus in a new way, I guess I would I would like to hope that these ads do that and lead to a deeper conversation about our need for sin. So I get the theological criticism. Uh, I would probably err on the side of saying, I think we can accept these ads for what they are. And be thankful that amidst the Dunkin' Donut ads and the Dorito ads and the beer ads and the silliness, there's Jesus. You know, he's right there in the midst of it. Yeah, amen. Amen. I actually think that, you know, that's how I intend to approach it. Do I 
You know, am I theologically sensitive enough to see the problems? Yes. Um, am sure. I also aware that um, there's a whole lot of distance between where people are living in the culture and the the slicing of the theological pie um, in terms yes. of these conversations? And so um, I think that in terms of fomenting discussion about Jesus, it's already proven effective because, after all, Absolutely. everybody in the country, including NPR, is talking about the He Gets Us ad campaign during the Super Bowl prior yep. to even seeing the ads. And so if yep. the secular world is tuned in, um, then the the ad campaign's probably already been effective. <laughs> it's probably yeah, it's probably I, I already done way. what they uh, were were seeking to do. Um, yeah. And yes, and yes, there are uh, there are things to raise as concerns. Um, you know, as you watch the ads with others, and as you use it as an opportunity to talk about Jesus and who He really yep. is, that would be great. Yep. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, plugged in in just a moment. Uh, We will either talk about uh, satanic worship during the Grammys or uh, the fact that AMC is planning to charge different prices for different seats in the theater, or let's do this. Let's have a review of Heaven Sent. Yeah, that that uh, that sounds very positive. Let's do that next on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, Plugged In. All right, Adam, you've got one review to share with us today. I mean, there are lots of others at PluggedIn.com, but we're going to talk about one of them, Heaven Sent. Yeah, this is a movie on Pure Flix, and it is a Hallmark-style romantic comedy with a light faith overlay. That's the main thing you need to know. And I think actually... Pure Flix is doing a great job these days of producing movies that um, maybe take some of those templates, those, uh, you know, those grids that we're used to seeing elsewhere and giving us a version of them that have an injection of faith and positivity that we're not going to find on Hallmark. Uh, This is a story about an older African-American woman who was once a rising pop star, ended up unexpectedly uh, pregnant, and she raises her child and her child has a child of his own and that grandson is named Derek, but then the child uh, actually dies tragically. And so the grandmother is raising uh, her grandson. And with that big a generation gap, they have some tension. uh, And wouldn't you know it, this woman, her name is Elise. She's played by Karen Abercrombie. Uh, She uh, meets a pastor who's a widower and they fall in love. So it's a pretty nice movie. Um, There is one, profanity that's sort of hinted at but not spoken and frankly that's about as bad as anything ever gets here and so i would commend pure flicks to your attention as a streaming outlet that is producing a lot of i would say really solid entertainment you know stuff where you don't have to have your finger hovering over the pause button uh you know in the fear that you're going to get bombarded with some 
worldly message. So there you go. That is heaven sent. All right. So that is um, that is something positive out there. Um, let's do one uh, thing that has happened in the culture. Uh, lots yeah. of eyeballs um, on the Grammys this past <laughs> Sunday evening. And that means that lots of eyeballs were seared with um, nothing short of satanic worship, or at least that's yeah. the headline. What's your take? That's the headline. Yes, this is Sam Smith and Kim Petras, and they were performing their hit song, uh, Unholy. Um, And Unholy is about a man who visits some sort of a sex worker. It's not quite clear. And he's married, but he's having this affair on the side. Um, And there are so many layers to this. We could spend half an hour talking about this. And yes, Sam Smith does dress up as Satan with a bright red outfit and a top hat with horns. And that's the top line that we're hearing. And clearly, uh, you know, there is at the very least a minimization uh, of Satan going on. Um, I don't, I want to push further though, because I think, I don't think for a minute that Sam Smith thinks that he's worshiping Satan. This is, this is an act. And Sam Smith up to this point, he is openly gay most of his songs have been earnest and sad and very straightforward. He's been sort of the role model. He's been kind of a sad sack, if you will. I mean, all his songs are about how he can't find love. And it's like he went to a brainstorming meeting one day and said, you know what? I want to take my career to the next level. I'm tired of being this earnest kind of pathetic guy. What can I do? And so the interesting thing to me is we live in a culture where transgression it's just about impossible now, right? I mean, mm. rock and roll is built on being bad, but because our culture has so obliterated any sexual norms, it's really hard to actually get there with sexual content alone these days. Um, but it's interesting to me that we still have artists reaching for religious imagery in an attempt to shock and to titillate. So yes, I would say, yeah, there was satanic imagery there. And I think that's worth talking about. But I also want us as Christians to realize he's doing this on purpose. And there's a part of me that when we sort of, you know, gasp in horror at it, I feel like we're taking the bait as Christians. This is not a new thing. You know, the Rolling Stones sang about sympathy for the devil in the 1960s. Alice Cooper did it. You know, we had a huge debate over whether Hotel California was about the Antichrist. It wasn't, you know, the 70s and 80s happened and and Satan was there at every turn. And savvy performers have often been quick to appropriate that as a cheap and easy way to garner attention. And I think that's happened here. And I think the bigger issue is that the song really espouses uh, an anything goes kind of sexuality And Kim Petras was the first transgender artist to ever earn a Grammy. And so I think the bigger issue here is what is Sam Smith's worldview with regard to sexuality? Uh, And I think that is where we need to be focusing our attention. And so not that we don't talk about the Satanism stuff because it's there, but this is a theatrical attempt to get our attention. And I think that when we stop there, we're missing the bigger point and we're taking the bait. Sam Smith is smiling somewhere when Christians jump up and down and say Satanism, Satanism, Satanism. You know, uh, I think that we need to have, we need, that's the starting point, not the ending point of this conversation. 
Yeah, that's really good. Um, and this is definitely one of those um, careful little eyes what you see. Uh, neither Adam yep. Holtz nor Carmen LeBurge are recommending that you no. watch no, uh, the video because it is genuinely unholy. <clears throat> so let me yep. give a quick shout out uh, to The Chosen. Um, lots of you texting in uh, about your appreciation um, for it and uh, and the season finale. Um, two episodes did uh, did really well in terms of a limited release in box offices across the country. And so just want to celebrate the ongoing good thing happening there as well. Adam, um, we're out of time. Thank you so much, as yep. always, for joining <laughs> us. We love our conversations with you. Thanks, Carmen. Hey, visit with Adam and all things um, media at PluggedIn.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, it's time to put on your thinking cap. I don't know what cap you've been wearing to this point, but let's put on our thinking cap for just a moment. Because when I say critical theory, uh, two things probably happen simultaneously. Your eyebrows go up, your eyes widen, you get a little bit anxious, and you wonder what in the world we're talking about. So we're going to talk about biblical critical theory. The author is Christopher Watkin. Um, I anticipate this being the first of many conversations that we have with Chris over the course of time, um, because what he's helping us do is instead of just looking at the scriptures, he is equipping us to look through them, to actually um, apply the principles of critical theory and to do so using the Bible as the lens and the frame through which we look at the world and everything in it. This is Christopher Watkin, my conversation with him about his book, Biblical Critical Theory, how the Bible's unfolding story makes sense of modern life and culture. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Excited, really excited to be welcoming today Christopher Watkin. He is a professor, associate professor of French studies at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. But today he's joining us to talk about, I really think it's the book we've all been waiting for, but maybe didn't know we really needed, Biblical Critical Theory, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. Christopher, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's lovely to be here. So I love the way that you talk about the 20-year itch. I delight in in the book that you have written, and I confess I didn't even know that I was waiting for it and looking for it until you put it in my hands. So can you talk about the 20-year itch you're scratching with this book? I certainly can, yes. It's, it's an itch that started for me when I was an undergraduate at university. And I found myself living in sort of two separate worlds, really. There was the world of my studies, where it was all Marx and Freud and Nietzsche, and we were churning out these essays week after week about these these critical theorists. And then there was the world of my church and my Christian union at university, where we were taking the Bible seriously, trying to read it slowly, trying to apply it to, to all of our life. And it struck me that there was no 
conversation, no place in my life where these two different ways of looking at the world could could interact with each other. Um, sort of decided that I wanted to try and find a way to bridge that gap, N- not to sort of pretend that they were saying the same thing, but to to say, look, if the Bible had a place at this table of all these different social theories that are flying around in society, what distinct, unique contribution would it make? How would it change that conversation? Which takes us to this language of social theory. Lots of people have maybe heard of critical theory, critical race theory. Not everybody went to, you know, a smarty pants, fancy institution of higher learning where they even heard this language. When you talk about social theory or social theories, what are what are we talking about? Can you frame that for us? Absolutely. Look, I, I think it's a big word for a really ordinary everyday thing. And the everyday thing is that there's too much going on in the world for us to pay attention to all of it. And so we've each got to make choices. You know, what what do we think is important out there in the world? Um, and what are we going to pay attention to? And a social theory helps you to make those choices. It makes some things in the world visible. Like a lot of contemporary social theories will say, focus on, you know, power relations. That's what's really important in society. Or perhaps focus on the oppression of women in society. That's what you should pay attention to. And these social theories make things valuable as well. Um, you know, you, you need to uh, really look out for the weak and vulnerable in society. That's what you should value. And the, the Bible, among all the other things that, that the Bible does, also does the same thing. You know, of course, the, the Bible is primarily making us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And also, it's making certain things out there in the world visible to us. Uh, like, for example, the glory of God in creation. You know, if you hadn't read the Bible, you might never have thought, looking up at a beautiful sunset, wow, that speaks to me of the glory of God. Mm. And the Bible says, look, pay attention to that. Notice that in the world. And so that's all that a, a social theory really is. It's making certain things in the world visible and certain things in the world valuable to us. I like the way that you talk about in introducing us to this idea of figures, because this is a part of this. Some things are brought into the foreground and we pay attention to them. We focus on them and everything else recedes into the background. As I was reading this portion, I thought to myself, I wonder if that's what um, the gospel writer John meant when he said, look, if we had actually written down all the things that Jesus ever said and did, did, the, the world wouldn't be large enough to contain all the books that would have to be written. There are things that are brought forward that we focus on and other things that are allowed to recede into the background. And the Bible consistently brings forward certain things. And what I hear you saying is we actually need to understand that and we need to understand the the biblical social theory because there are lots of theories that put themselves forward as competitors to that. Absolutely. And isn't it just brilliant the way the Bible does that? So if you look at ancient histories, they're all about Caesars, aren't they? They're all about the big, important people in society. You know, pay attention to the, and it's always the man, isn't it? Pay attention to the man at the top. And then the Bible comes along and you sort of get probably one or two mentions of kings, but it's it's all about a bunch of fishermen and a carpenter. Um, and it's just it just overturns all our expectations about what we should pay attention to in society. 
Again, we are talking with Christopher Watkin. We're talking about um, his new book, Biblical Critical Theory, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and I'm Carmen LaBerge. How are you preparing for the reality of Jesus's last days, his passion, Holy Week, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, Jesus being stripped and humiliated by soldiers and falsely accused by the Jews and subjected to mock trials and ultimately crucified? How are you planning to give those events in Jesus's life the attention they deserve? That's what the season of Lent is all about. The 40 days prior to Easter are set aside to prepare ourselves to face the reality of the cross and, yes, ultimately to celebrate the reality of the empty tomb. I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible together during Lent. The study will provide a way for you to intentionally engage each day with the Word of God. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com as we read through the Bible together this Lent. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. Continuing our conversation now with Christopher Watkin. The book is Biblical Critical Theory, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. Um, Christopher, maybe you can explain to us what figures are. I was intrigued by this. This is um, a new way of thinking about things for me, and I'm guessing that it might be new for others as well. We need to understand the figures and the relationships between them so that we can move forward uh, into the conversation about this framework of understanding culture. So tell us about the figures. Yeah, thank you, Carmen. I, it's just a word that helps us to get a handle on the idea that the Bible has certain signature moves that it makes time and time again. Uh, for example, there's the idea that God overturns our expectations of who should go first in life. And it's something that theologians have often called the great reversal. You know, so it's the octogenarian Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who become the, you know, the parents of many nations. It's Jacob, the younger son that's chosen. It's David, the shepherd boy who's chosen. You know, Jesus, again, is a is a carpenter. He's not a king. And this idea that, that God always systematically seems to choose the, the, the weak and the overlooked becomes then a distinctively biblical figure of the way that God deals with reality. And what I try to do in the book is identify these repeated patterns of the way that, that God acts and the way that the Bible sees the world. And then I try to use those as ways to, to read and interact with modern society. So if, if we come at our modern world through a biblical lens using these figures, what does it look like and how can we critique and how can we serve modern society using these biblical figures? And culture has its own set of figures as well, and they are all influencing me all the time. It's not as if I can, I, I could imagine engaging with the Bible as if I'm not a person that is a part of immersed in um, a particular point in time in a particular cultural reality. Can you talk about that? I think it's, I think it's the portion where you talk about how we, uh, how we as the reader approach the text and how the text 
did you do you know what I'm trying to point to there when I talk about me reading the text and how I approach it, how I arrive at it? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you, you put your finger on an incredibly important point there, that the society around us and, and our culture is really expertly catechizing us every mm. day. Um, not just in the the overt messages, you know, there's the, the adverts that you see, you know, like this sort of perfume, buy these sort of clothes, all of that, sure. But also in lots of subtler ways as well. You know, the very fact that I own a smartphone and I can call any piece of information that I can think of in the world, it, it puts me in the place of, you know, puts me right in the center of that world as almost a, a king who can call anyone into his presence. And all these tiny little ways of interacting with things in the world shape a particular sense in me of who I am and how I should expect the world to behave around me. You know, there's been this controversy, hasn't there, about how the voice assistants on these mobile phones always uh, are female voices. Little Mm. little aspects like that of, of my world are all telling me what I should expect and what I should value. And if Christians, I guess, aren't aware of all these many, many ways in which we've been catechized every day, then we become unable to, to think about it and to, to evaluate that because it just goes under our radar. And it's that person that arrives at the text. And so I come to the text um, catechized in whatever cultural moment I happen to live in. And, you know, and this is mine, 21st century uh, America. And I can't say that I then arrive at the text and whatever the text has to say to me, I'm going to be able to apprehend and appreciate because I'm reading it through a lens. Can you talk about that um, process, how I arrive, how I'm changed, and then you know how I go forward from encountering the text, hopefully as a different person? Absolutely. It, it's, I guess it's fundamental to, to the Christian life. That, that the Bible <laughs> rubs us up the wrong way, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, if a Christian comes to the Bible and reads it through and puts it down and says, well, that was what I was thinking all along, <sighs> then something's gone wrong. Um, that we, we should all be rubbed up the wrong way, made a bit angry once in a while, uh, flummoxed once in a while by the Bible. And, and if we are, then we know we're not just polishing a mirror and looking at our our own image in it, but we're actually looking through a window into a world that's that's different to our own. And I, I guess one thing I'm encouraging all Christians to do in the book is to, to embrace those moments in the Bible where you read it and say, oh, I, I, I really don't like the way that that's put, or that makes me uncomfortable, or I'm, I'm not sure that that can be true. Because those, I guess, are the moments that allow us to, to grow and change, the moments when the Bible is does have sharp corners for us where where we don't quite like the way that it puts something that's a moment where my catechized world can be challenged when i tell you that um that this book is long and hefty um you might be put off but let me tell you this is a book that is written for you one of the things that christopher says about this book is i want to explore how the world of the Bible refigures our contemporary world with all its priorities, values, assumptions, and desires. What I am presenting in this book is Christianity at its best, the Christianity of Christ, which is all too often not the Christianity of Christians. 
you talk in here about the fact that we do live at this peculiar moment in history where there are all these assumptions and values in the culture that I would describe as like the shadow of the shadow of the shadow of faith. Like there's some residue in our culture that is Christian. There's a Christian imprint there, but the Bible is largely unknown, misunderstood, and condemned. Can you talk about the why or maybe the so what of this book right now? Yeah, I think you are absolutely right. It's a strange historical moment that we live in. Um, Christians are very often today getting beaten with the stick in public. Um, Mm. But the weirdness of the situation is that the stick has been stolen from Christians. Like the the (laughs) values that are being used to to say that that Christians are sort of the, the bad guys today are actually Christian values originally. And so Christians find themselves in this strange situation where people are saying, you know, you're against freedom, you're against equality and so forth. And, and these are ideas largely that, that Christians have introduced into the tradition over the years. All right. My, um, my favorite um, part of this is your discussion of the Bible out narrating its cultural rivals. So help us understand how, um, if rightly understood, all other stories find their place within this story. This was a real penny drop moment for me, Carmen, I think, in the, the road to writing this book. Where, when I, I stopped seeing the Bible as a, a series of really important stories with a meaning, and, and I started seeing it as, as one story from the mm. first page to the last. It's unfolding a view of reality, a complex view of reality, in which we can live. It's not just one story within the world, but it's actually the story of the world. And more than that, it's the story that makes sense of everything in the world. Uh, It's the story that makes sense of us as human beings with all our complexities and all our wonderful qualities, but also all our our depths of depravity. It's it's the story that makes sense of the the natural world and its its beauty and its, its terror. It's the story that makes sense of politics and everything like that. And I think it's it's that sense of without this story, Christians are always responding to the terms of debate set by other people and trying to fit the Bible and Christianity into categories made by by others. But if if we embrace this story and live within it, we begin to see that the Bible actually reorders all the categories that are out there, you know, the categories of both the left and the right politically, um, the categories of all these different cultural and social theories, the Bible says, well, you're sort of, as, as you so beautifully put it a moment ago, you've got a shadow of a shadow of a shadow there. But let me, let me introduce you to the reality, the thing that you're grasping for, uh, but don't manage to, uh, to fully embrace. I, um, I love this work. I love what you've written. I hope we can talk more about it. Christopher Watkin brings to us Biblical Critical Theory, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. One of my favorite parts of this is the spirit in which it sends us forth into the world that God so loves, um, not only with the truth, but to really present the truth in ways that genuinely honor Jesus. So, um, you know, I, I this is right in line with what we talk about every day here on Mornings with Carmen, and I just feel like, Christopher, you have equipped us with such fresh insight, and you've done it in a way 
um, that is so God honoring and will be so uplifting to the conversations of the day. So thank you so much. Well, look, if by God's grace I've done that, then, then praise him. That's a wonderful thing for him to have achieved. Amen. Amen. Uh, that's Christopher Watkin. We will uh, seek to have him on again. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. So one of the um, headlines that we didn't have an opportunity to talk about over the last couple of weeks, and I I don't want you to miss it, um, the International Religious Freedom Summit for this year took place last week in Washington, D.C. It is a growing and powerful coalition of organizations and policymakers, um, members of Congress, who get together um, seeking to not only raise concern, but actually Uh, agree on policy that would advance the cause of religious freedom around the world. And so it's an effort to increase public awareness and also, right, like drive together in one direction uh, in in terms of making positive traction on international religious um, liberty concerns. And so I wanted you to be aware of that. Um, IRFsummit.org. I'm going to put notes from the summit in, um, in the show notes today. In order to get the show notes, you can go later today to MyFaithRadio.com, um, to our show page, and the notes will be there. Or if you subscribe to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast, wherever you subscribe to podcasts, um, if you subscribe to Mornings with Carmen, then when it when the show populates as a podcast, the show notes will be there. Um, and so that's really the simplest and easiest way is to subscribe to the show as a podcast, um, set it for like automatic download, and then you'll have the show notes every single day. Um, Here are a few highlights from the International Religious Freedom Summit in Washington, D.C. last week, at least from my perspective. Um, First of all, there was testimony from a Ukrainian-American pastor that was really powerful, talking about, um, you know, more than 500 churches in Ukraine um, that have been destroyed, and then the ongoing experience of pastors like himself, who you know have not left. They've they've left, but they've gone back, and they've gone back again and again and again. And in his case, he has um, on two different occasions been um, arrested and held um, by the Russians. Um, it's just a it's a very very difficult situation um, for Christians who do not identify with the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, on the front lines of that battle in Ukraine. And so let's be continuing to lift them up as well. Um, and then there was a lot of attention paid to what is happening in China. Um, a prominent Uyghur activist named Rashan Abbas um, really called everyone's, uh, recalled everyone's attention to the concerns of her people, a Muslim ethnic minority in Northwest China. We have talked about the Uyghurs now for a number of years, um, and we don't want to lose sight of that concern. Um, and gripping testimony offered as well from Tasi Gata. She's the director of Grace and Light International. It's a non-denominational Christian ministry in Nigeria, seeking to attract attention to concerns there. She talked about her abduction in January 2020, and that is on the IRF Summit website if you want to um, listen to that. Nigeria, uh, you know, some 200 million people um, 
it ought to have uh, more of our attention. It is the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian, um, and there is uh, a current proposal right now before Congress, um, a resolution to add Nigeria to the State Department's annual blacklist of countries that violate religious freedom. If you're interested in affecting international religious liberty concerns and particularly um, drawing um, attention by the United States to the concerns of Christians in Nigeria, then you'll want to contact your member of Congress um, to get them to support this piece of legislation sponsored by Representative Chris Smith. So there you go. Um, there are some things happening um, in D.C. to be supportive of in the advancement of Christian concern and religious liberty around the world. Thank you so much for spending time with me today and uh, and every day here on Mornings with Carmen. Visit us at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.